My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Uh, You and I live in a nonstop world. We are bombarded by media every day, and we carry it around with us in our pockets. There's this incessant demand for our attention and rapid response. I mean, it is easy to feel the weight of the world because information travels within seconds. All we have to do is get a notification on our smartphone, and we know that there was a tsunami or an earthquake or a political uprising, or Portland was all over the national news yesterday because of just what Portland does, keeping it weird, right? And people know about everything, and all you have to do is get this little bing notification, and it's time to update your status. It's time to like or reply or argue with someone about your post, right? Uh, We're in this world that... I think is great and incredibly creative, but the pressing demands of always being on is a challenge when you want to actually turn off, when you want to stop, when you want to slow down. Uh, So many people are so caught up in this instant on world and this instant recognition, this instant response and reply that you feel this gap, you feel this hole in your heart, this hole in your identity, actually, when you decide to turn off your smartphone or all your devices and disconnect for even a couple hours. Some of us can't even handle that. And God, as we saw last week, invites us to do it once a week for 24 hours. And God invites us to a rest, a Sabbath rest. And so we're looking at this idea of Sabbath, and we started the very beginning of the Bible when God creates everything. And God, it says, created everything in six days, and he said it was all good, and then he creates Adam and Eve, and it's very good. And then here's what we see in Genesis chapter 2. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. So God makes everything in six days. It's there. It's done. Uh, it's, it's not just good. It's very good. It's done. But on the seventh day, it says, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, the word Sabbath doesn't show up here, but the idea does in a couple ways. In fact, something we'll see as we look at this series for these weeks to come is that there are two key words that keep popping up in all of the texts we'll look at. And one, it's the idea of cease or rest and the idea of holy, because that's what keeps coming back. First of all, we see this. God says that it's a day of rest, and it does mean to cease, to desist, to stop, pause, or rest. It just means come to a full and complete stop. I was reading last week 
that uh, people online are struggling with the period, the, the full stop, because it appears rude. Because if you don't add an exclamation or an emoji uh, and you just put a period at the end of your sentence, people think you're upset and mad. See, they haven't been to school to learn grammar. Okay, uh, even if you spell all your words out completely, put commas, punctuation, if you put a full stop at the end of your sentence, people think you're rude, okay? God says, okay, I guess I'm going to be rude and I'm going to tell you to put a full stop to your week, okay? Because it's the best thing for you. It's the exclamation point. It's the emoji, the smile, the thumbs up that says, this is worth stopping for. And God says that he did everything, and which seems pretty awesome if you ask me everything he did, and he rested. I like work just like the next person. I love to work hard, and after a long day of working hard, it feels good to rest. Or if you have a day off and you say, hey, it's time to take a nap. You know, if you get one of those every, about once a week, usually Sunday afternoons, I get one of those, and it's like, that's a nice thing to, just to kind of crash and, you know, put the earplugs in and forget, you know, everything else is going on and just stop. That's the idea of rest. But as we saw last week, simply defined, rest is the opposite of work. So whatever you do that constitutes work, just don't do that. Do the opposite. And it's varied for different people because some of us, the idea, my wife and I went for a run yesterday, that's not work, that's rest, okay? And for some of you, that's not even work, that's death. That's okay, you don't have to do that. Do something else. We don't run quickly because that would be death to us. But um, whatever it is, uh, if you work, you know, on a car or in the yard or you do things creatively, that's great. That's wonderful. But you find what is work and just stop that. Cease, desist on that. And what God says is that rest that he participated in, instituted for us, was such a special thing that he called it holy And the word holy means to set apart. It means uh, there's a specific reason it's there. God says there's six days, but this seventh one, I'm going to set apart as a special day. Now, in in the Bible, this word holy shows up when it's talking about the mystery and majesty of God. It's a really cool word, and it's often used of people. It's used of places, of items, and you see that in the story of God and his people, that these things are sacred or set apart as holy, and God says, there's a lot of those, but this one's mine. And you can't use that in a normal way, and he gets pretty particular about it. In the temple, in the tabernacle, and with people and with a day. And the very first thing ever to show up as holy, it's a 24-hour time period. And so we saw that last week. Now, this is, I, I thought about this, and I thought, this is kind of fun. Imagine this. Adam and Eve, so all the creation, one to five and six day and everything there, they're made. And uh, then their next day is the seventh day, which is the Sabbath day, the, the day of rest. So think about this. God had commissioned them to manage and caretake over the earth, to, to, uh, to, to really dwell on the earth, but in a way that is uh, honoring the creation. And their first day of work was what? It was a day off. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if, like, you get hired, you know, at school or at a business, Intel or whatever, and they go, hey, for your first day of work, just go home. We're going to pay you. It's vacation time. That'd be awesome, right? And you might get greedy and want to, but no, just take one. It just, it, your boss walks in and goes, hey, I know this is your first day, but you can go home now. And it's like, what, am I fired? Cleaning my desk? No, no, no. This is what we do at work. We give your first day as a rest day. That would be a cool statement. 
to say we value you as a human being more than you as a human doing, as a productivity person, right? You are valuable, so you go take some rest. That's what God did with Adam and Eve. I like that. Well, we saw last week in a summation uh, of this, and if you, you missed it, you can pick up the sermon notes on a little bookmark, actually. We'll hand you at the door or catch it on the podcast, four uses of the Sabbath or ways the Sabbath shows up in the purpose of the, you know, the reality. We'll see some of these in the weeks to come. We'll see some extra ones. But first of all, it is for rest. It's for ceasing. God institutes a full stop once a week to say, I want this day to be different. Just, just knock off whatever you're doing that's taxing, that's pressing, that adds stress, that adds speed to your life, and just, just stop, just rest. Find a rest on that day. It's also for recreation. Recreation, not just, you know, going out and wrecking creation, which is what we do, but I mean recreation in the sense of um, just really enjoying it, you know, whether that is going in the outdoors or indoors or creative arts or whatever, just some way that you're able to enjoy the creation of God and, and to recreate, whatever that might be for you, whether it's family or friends, and it is with relationships. And a couple of weeks, I'll talk about that, the Sabbath as relationship. What does it mean for you to gather people around you, maybe that you know really well or you do not know at all, and you have an opportunity to be with them and to celebrate life with them, to journey life with them? That's relationship. We were made to live life together and to do life together. And finally, it's for reflection. Reflection. Uh, in uh, about three or four weeks, we're going to do just a whole talk on how Sabbath changes us from the inside out. How when we take a very special time period where we say no to everything, put blinders on, turn off all the devices, isolate ourselves for a period of time, God speaks to us in the solitude. And solitude can be pretty threatening for us. It's a great idea, but when you've been there and there's been nothing, no noise, just the absence of activity, it can be really dangerous for us, but it can also be incredibly fulfilling. And I want to advocate for that and talk about that. So that's what we saw. And in the weeks to come, we're going to build on this idea of Sabbath. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to take a look at the very first story in the Bible where the word Sabbath shows up. The idea shows up in Genesis chapter 2, but the word shows up in Exodus chapter 16. Now, if you have a Bible, open up there. In a minute, we'll have them on the screen, the verses 11 to 35. It's a long story, but it's a beautiful story where Sabbath shows up. Now, let me back up and get us up to speed while you're turning there or waiting for the slide for the next few moments to show up. Here is where we are. God's people which started with Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all those children, ends up in Egypt. Because of famines, because of the necessity of providing for this family, they end up in Egypt, which is not their home. It's a foreign land. It's a dominated land. Over time, they become slaves. We don't know exactly how many years they were slaves. We know they were in the land for 430 years. We know that. But they become slaves in a foreign land. And that becomes a huge picture in the Bible of a life of sin, a life of brokenness, and Egypt becomes this picture of the darkness of sin. Okay, but it's a country that begins to dominate God's people. And so they're slaves in this land for, we'll say, 400 years, okay? Now, that's pretty interesting, 400 years. Did you know that today, this very day, 400 years ago, a Dutch trading ship unloaded the first African slaves onto the American colonies? 400 years ago, started 246 years of brokenness and sinfulness in our country. 
And now not to add another 100 years of Jim Crow laws, right? <laughs> Think about that. 400 years ago today, slaves showed up. That's a long time. That's before George Washington. That's before what most of us know. We're talking Jamestown. We're talking the beginning of this as a nation, right? So 400 years of slavery. Now, a slave doesn't have the ability to say no. That's, that's what it means to be a slave. There are more slaves today in the world than there were back when William Wilberforce fought for slavery freedoms, the abolition of slavery in the British colonies. More than we had when Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation to free the slaves. There are more slaves today when 1965 came around and the Civil Rights Act rewrote a lot of those horrible Jim Crow laws and allowed freedom in spite of whatever color of skin you have. There are more slaves today working in domestic, working in textile industries around the world, working chained up, many of them bound. But think of what it would mean to be a slave. We might think crassly that we're a slave to our boss or to work, but we don't know anything about slavery. Slavery, you are bound. You might physically be bound, mentally be bound, but you are confined. You have a list that says one thing, work, and you do it until you drop. And you don't have freedoms. You don't have luxuries. You may not even have a day off. Your job is to work and to produce and to crank out something that somebody is making money on. You're a slave. And the Hebrew people, they were slaves in Egypt. And God rescued them from that with this man, Moses, who came in, liberated them from the slavery, the chains of Egypt, through tremendous miracles and opportunity for them to see God's hand. And they leave the country blessed, absolutely blessed. And finally, they show up at a place called Mount Sinai, where they get the very teachings of God. And God is going to teach them that the culture that he has for them is not the Egyptian slavery culture. The slavery culture is work and no rest, right? Work and no play, work and work. God says, I'm going to show you work and play. Over here, it's work seven days, collapse at the end of the day, because you're not producing enough bricks to build my earthly kingdoms. But over here, you're going to work six days, and you're going to play one day. But before God gives those laws, and this is important as a distinction, because many of us know the Ten Commandments. We'll see that next week. Before God gives the Ten Commandments, plus where there's a significant emphasis in there on taking a Sabbath, the word Sabbath shows up, and God demonstrates his faithfulness to his people through the Sabbath, and he demonstrates a principle that you and I should still live by today, and it's the principle of learning to rely upon our Heavenly Father and not think that we can work our way through this, okay? So we ready? We're going to take a look at uh, Exodus 16 down to verse 11, or from verse 11 down to verse 35, okay? Now this is what it says, then the Lord said to Moses, 
I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now, what is their complaint? Well, they've been in the wilderness, and they haven't been in the wilderness 40 years. They've only been in, you know, days, okay? But it's hot, it's dry, it's weary. They need some food. They're pining for Egypt when at least we had, you know, onions and garlics and leeks and all that stuff. Yeah, we were slaves, but at least we had the Nile River, and we were slaves, but at least, you know, slave masters fed us, okay? So God says, okay, they're, they're wanting the old, which is ridiculous. So I've heard their complaints. They're hungry, they're thirsty. I get it. Look at this. He says, now tell them, in the evening, you will have meat to eat. So the quail are going to come through, okay? This happens a couple times. This is a good time. And in the morning, you will have all the bread you want. So bread and meat. Then you will know, and this is important, then you will know, because of this, you will know that I am the Lord. Not just I'm the Lord, but I am the Lord, your God. You will learn by this act that's going to, we're going to see, continue for years to come, that not only am I all-powerful God, but I care about you. And I will provide for you in your moment of need. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, here's the emphasis, the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost many wheats probably, right? As fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? That's, that's a good question. What is it? Okay, I used to ask that every time I go to lunch at college, you know, it's like, what is it? Okay. Later, we're going to see this word. It means manna in the culture and the language, manna. They just walked around and go, manna, which is, what is it? Men, do not say that today at lunchtime. Okay, ladies, don't say that when somebody takes you out, right? What is it? They had no idea what it was. Now, this is important. This was a brand new thing. This was not, oh, they were in this certain location, and that's kind of what happens over there because of the climate and the humidity. No, this was a special, this was a unique thing. This was a God-provided substance. This is different though, and they don't know what it is. They've never seen this before. What is it? Okay. Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. They walk out and they go, okay, the dew's evaporating, but what's all this flaky stuff on the ground? And Moses says, well, you asked, right? You cried out and God showed up. All right. He gave you quail, but now he's given you bread. Now, there's this really cool passage in Psalm 78. It's not on the screen, but I just want to read it to you. It says, God commanded the skies to open. He opened the doors of heaven. What a picture, right? He rained down manna. What is it? Manna for them to eat. It says, and he gave them the bread from heaven. Now, think about that for just a minute. They cry out. You've done that, right? God, I need your help. God, I'm struggling at school. God, I'm struggling in this relationship. I'm struggling at work. God, I don't have provision. There's not enough money at the end of the month, right? There's too much month. I need more money to make it, right? I don't have enough. There's not enough in the paycheck. There's not enough in the social security. There's not enough in the retirement. I'm not making enough. I'm working two jobs and it's not enough. God, hears your cry. He heard their cry, and he provided for them, and he will provide for you. You might look at it and go, but that's not how I wanted it provided. That's okay. It's manna. It's what is it, okay? It's different. It's food from heaven, not food from your own ingenuity, your own resources. This is a special food. This is a special provision. It's directly from heaven. The doors of open of heaven have opened up. We talk about that, right? Or the windows of heaven. God wants to pour down. He wants to rain down provision. If you cry out to him, if you put your trust in him. And he did it with this 
group of people, this, this group of former slaves that are going to learn how to be free by giving them bread. He says, these are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Now, this is interesting. Gather as much as you need. All right, just gather it. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. That obviously was as much as they need. This uh, right here, these are two uh, quarts right here. Thank you, Polly Brooks, for giving me the curd jars. And um, I have filled it with my daily bread. This is my manna. This is oatmeal. This just happens to be organic because I was at Winco last night and picked the wrong stuff, not the cheap stuff that my wife gets. I thought we'll get some good stuff for sunrise, right? Um, This is oatmeal. Every morning I get up. This is my routine. It's been this way for years. I get my half cup scooper, put that in there, half cup of water, microwave it 60 seconds, comes out, put a little light brown sugar, which they did not have, and blueberries, frozen blueberries right there, mix it up. This is my daily bread. This is my manna. Now, this is pretty cool. This is a visual representation of what every person received every day. And we're going to see this for 40 years. This was all they needed, right? Now, there are no greens in there. I don't know where the protein came from. (laughs) I don't know if you could cut it with a fork. I don't know if you could put some A1 sauce on it. I'm not too sure about that or soy sauce. But this is a visual representation of two quarts. This is how much God said, this is what you need. And so they went out that morning and they gathered it. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, it's interesting, no matter how big their eyes and hands were, when it all measured out, it was the same. They had just as they needed. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered a little only had, had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Now, this is important for us, my friends, what they needed. We are not a nation of need. We think so. We're a nation of greed. We're a nation of more is enough, which is never enough, right? So here they cry out to God. They say, God, we need daily food. We need manna. We, we're going to starve out here. We're going to die out here. We're, we're just going to walk in the heat of the desert and not make it. Thanks for setting us free from slavery, but I need more than that. I need daily provision. And God says, okay, every day you just wake up and open your tent, and it's going to be right in front of you. All you have to do is just pick it up. And this is what you will have. Just enough. No more. It's not about hoarding. It's not about taking more than your fair share. It's exactly enough. I believe that's what God wants to do for you and for me. Provide just enough to satisfy our needs. But our culture, our consumeristic world that we live in is not content with that, right? And I'll say this, and I know this is not across the board. I know some of you are in special circumstances. But let's just be honest, my friends. Even at the poverty level in the United States, we are still wealthier than the majority of the world. We really are. It may not feel like that. I get it. Washington County, outrageous home prices. I get it. The price of milk goes up. The price of avocados. Have you seen avocados? I can't have guacamole anymore, right? It's unbelievable. $2, right? It's like, this is crazy, right? I'll go, oh, God, but I don't need it. I might argue that guacamole, you know, fact, but... But I don't need it. God promises to provide what I need. But I don't have a new. I don't have a bigger. I don't have a faster. I don't have a shinier. I don't have what my heart desires. God never promises that. He promises to provide what we need. And in this two-quart picture right here, God says, this is what you need, and that is what I will provide. I don't know how many calories that was. I don't know how it all worked out, you know, in the food pyramid. I just don't know. I don't know what it tasted like, right? 
well, the Bible says, but it's a little mysterious. But this was their daily food. God says, I promise in your moment of need to provide everything you need. Then Moses told them, don't keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen, hello, and kept some of it until morning. But then, by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them. Now, that's a personal thing. I'm just going to slide over into a pastoral moment, by the way. This is not the actual understanding of the text, but it's a really good, you know, extra, extra understanding as far as application. Don't live on yesterday's bread, my friends. Just today, God's going to provide enough. And if you do not get up in the morning and open your tent, as it were, and find God's refreshment, you're going to live on yesterday's blessing or last week's or a year ago's. Um, I, I encourage everybody to get up every morning, read the Bible. Spend some time in prayer. Uh, ask for the prayer lists. We'll email those to you. Find a way to pray for your church family. Read through the Bible. Read through Psalms or Proverbs every month. Find a reading plan. We've done that for years. I've done it for years. Read, just find a text and start reading it so that God will nourish you personally. I'm glad you come to Sunrise. I'm glad you hear messages. But it is not my job to read your Bible. In fact, let me ask you, whose job is it to read your Bible for you? Exactly, it's yours. Whose job is it to pray your prayers? Right? That, so it's important for you to live off of the daily bread. Don't just come here, get some spiritual food, and expect it to last next week. That's going to grow stale and moldy with maggots in it, okay? It's not going to provide for you. God provides every day, so you dig into it. Now, it says, after this, the people gathered the food morning by morning, each family according to its need. As the sun became hot, the flakes they had not picked up melted and disappeared. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. Now, that's interesting. Then all the leaders of the community came up and asked Moses for the explanation. I don't understand this. I, I don't, what, I, why do we gather twice? He told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be, here it is, a day of complete rest, ceasing and desisting from all work, a holy, here's the word again, a holy Sabbath a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. This is the first mention of Sabbath. This is the idea that God has instituted and it's done before the Old Testament law. And it's, this is gonna be a special day and I'm gonna build into the rhythm of your life every seventh day. I'm not gonna provide because on the sixth day, I'm gonna double provide and it's gonna be a reminder that I care for you enough. So they put some aside until the morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good, without maggots or odor. This is a reminder. This was not a natural phenomena. This was a supernatural blessing of God. Moses said, eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath, that special day, a day of rest, a day, what, dedicated to the Lord, given over to God. There'll be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground that day. Now, some of you who know English and read stories go, I've repeated several things. Well, God repeated several things. But guess what the people did? They went out and they looked for the food, right? God's saying, don't. Don't, don't work on that day because I will provide enough to carry you through that day. Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? How long will they be stubborn in their hearts? How long will they refuse to listen to me, the one who provides everything? They must realize that the Sabbath, here's the word, is the Lord's gift to you. I've titled this series, Refresh. 
The whole idea of enjoying the Sabbath as God's gift, not a burden, not a religion, but as a gift. The Sabbath is God's gift to you to say no to everything that's pressing on you and to enjoy the day dedicated to the Lord. That is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day, so there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Do not go out to pick up food on the seventh day, so the people did not gather any food on the seventh day. The Israelites called the food manna. What is it? It was white like coriander seed, so that's what it looked like, and it tasted like honey wafers. So I don't know what that tastes like. Honey wafers. Sounds pretty good, right? Sounds kind of sweet. Now, again, I, I enjoy oatmeal for breakfast. I do. But we're going to see in a moment that this lasted for 40 years. Okay? 40 years. I imagine that if I could eat prime rib every day for 40 years, I would get sick of it. I don't know that for sure, so I'm willing to put that to the test <laughs> if anybody wants to help fund that research project. Um, but manna, or for me, oatmeal, right? What would that be like to say, this is God's provision, but I'm kind of getting tired of God's daily bread, kind of growing weary of the same thing. I want something fresh. I want something different. I mean, I, I don't know what it would be like if my wife said, all we have is oatmeal. And I'd say, okay, well, let's make some oatmeal waffles, right? Yeah, I don't know how that work out. Let's, let's, why don't you pack it together? I know they do this at restaurants now and, they, and at stores. Make like an oatmeal burger. And I'll put some barbecue sauce on it, right? You know, I don't know what it would be like. Uh, I'm old enough to remember an artist named Keith Green who basically said, you know, they probably feasted on manna souffle and banana bread, right? After a while, it's going to feel old. But for some reason, God said it shouldn't because it's my daily provision for you. Every day I'm giving you a gift. Then, the Lord, uh, then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Fill a two-quart container with manna to preserve it for your descendants. Then later generations will be able to see the food I gave you in the wilderness when I set you free from Egypt. This is an interesting thing. There would be two quarts. This right here is sitting in the Ark of the Covenant for generations to come, for years, maybe centuries, right? And it would never get old and never rot, and there'd never be any maggots in it. So God was saying, I want to provide a special thing as a reminder so forever you know I provided in the wilderness. Moses said to Aaron, we're wrapping it up here down to verse 35, get a jar and fill it with two quarts of manna. Then he put it in a sacred place before the Lord to preserve it for all future generations. Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He eventually placed it in the Ark of the Covenant in front of the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. So the people of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they arrived at the land where they would settle. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Cana. Now, if you journey in the Bible to see the story, it's pretty awesome because the day they show up, before they go into Jericho, before they conquer the land and enjoy all the land that was promised to them, a land flowing with milk and honey, they enjoy this. But when they show up, there's no more manna. And now these people, you read the story, they all died because of their disobedience and sin. So they were... As those entered the land, they were children raised on manna. That was it their whole life. And all of a sudden, there's no manna. It's like, what's going on? Well, this was what the Lord promised 40 years ago. He promised that I would provide every day. But when I really provide the final rest for you, you're going to know something's different. And I'm going to stop providing manna. So let's recap. What does God do? Well, he teaches his, some, his people something. He teaches them the miraculous. 
uh, every morning, every morning, the Hebrews had a daily rhythm that reminded them that they could trust in God. They could rely on God. I mean, how do you get away from that? Every morning they got up, they opened their front door, they walked out onto their front yard, and their food was there. It was just there. God had provided for them. Every day there was a reminder, a daily rhythm of God's blessing on them if they would only trust in him and rely on him. And then every week, a special blessing, a special reminder of reliance when the day before there's twice as much and then there's none that the next day, the Sabbath day, and they enjoy the day that God had double provided. That was a weekly rhythm of God demonstrating that his people could rely on him. Now, my obvious question is, what habit or habits do you have in place to remind yourself of God's provision and your need to rely upon him? God built a rhythm that they enjoyed and sometimes grew tired of, but was a constant rhythm of reminder of God's presence. Their daily bread, their daily need, Jesus prays that and there's someone on the mount, give us today our daily bread, the food we need for today, not for tomorrow, but for today. That's the prayer. They didn't even have to pray. They just woke up and it was there. And they were reminded over and over again. And I think that is something for you and me. I think there's something we need to learn here. That if we institute moments where we open up our front door, we open up our eyes and see that God provided what could it be for you that God provided? Again, you know, broken record on this one. If you don't know what a record is, ask your grandparents. Um, broken record for me is every morning I get up. I did it this morning. I get half a cup of oatmeal, add some blueberries to the whole thing, and get a little cup of coffee, which is good, okay? Very good some days. And um, I sit down. I open my Bible. I have a simple kind of a... You know, my own version of one of the Psalms, open my eyes, Lord, to see the daily wonders in your word. Teach me something, God, today. I want to see something. I want you to speak to me. And I read through my portion of the Bible. I'm in Ezekiel right now, finishing that up. Then I pray through the prayer list and the other lists I have. And it's a time when I just say, God, I want to stop. I want to build a ritual in my life that will remind me every day this day is yours and you provided for me. It's not religious. It's not religious at all for me. Um, this last week, I, I got busy on a project, and I got up in the morning, and I did something else. And, and I, later on, I was talking, telling Mary Beth, I go, but you know, I'll catch up. That's fine. I mean, sometimes I go a couple days because of life or whatever, but that's okay. I'm not going to beat myself up. But I get back to the rhythm of reliance. What rhythms of reliance do you build into your life so that you're reminded that it's the Lord, your God, who gave you the breath Oh, I, I know you have the intelligence, but who gave you the brain, right? I know you have the strength, but who gave you the muscles? Who gave you the, the ability to breathe? It was the Lord your God. I'm glad you have degrees. I'm glad you have projects. I'm glad you have assignments. I'm glad you have the know-how to do it all and the opportunity. That's great. Maybe you, some of you have a business license. I'm glad you have a business license. You have vehicles. You have all that stuff. That's great. You have clients. You have, you have prospects. That's great. Who gave you all that? The Lord, your God, gave you all that. And the ability to do all the work came from God. But you need to build a rhythm, just like I need to build a rhythm, that says I'm relying on God for his daily bread. But we're a people consumed with work, right? I hear this all the time. 
It's not the first time I've preached on Sabbath. But James, you don't understand. If I don't work nonstop, I won't have enough to meet the needs of my business or my family. I won't be able to pay the bills. I won't be able to pay off loans. I won't be able to do all that. I ha- people need me. You don't understand, James. In my work, I can't shut down. I have to stay connected because it's a 24-7 world we live in. And chaos might ensue if I stop. Maybe, but maybe that's a good thing because you'll realize you built a system that relies upon you 24-7. Now, I want to slide over. There's a, another way we rely on God, and, and uh, it's the same principle. It's the area of, of giving back to the Lord and being generous to the Lord called the tithe. I love this passage from Deuteronomy 14.23. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. You know, when we tithe, God says, give, us, give the first 10% to God, not any 10%, not if there's anything left at the end of the, you know, the checkbook, but the first 10%, because it's about trust. It's about trusting God, putting him first, and relying on God to provide the rest, right? Same thing. It's exactly like that with Sabbath. I'm going to make a decision, and I'm going to cease and call that day holy, and then I'm going to trust in God. To be completely practical with you, I never tithed when I was younger. It was too much of a struggle. I had too much debt. I was even in ministry as a youth pastor living in Boise, and I just figured I didn't have enough money. I was giving it to the youth. But when I learned to give God the first 10%, everything changed for me. My heart attitude changed. The blessings of God changed. The course of my life changed. When I said, I'm going to put you, God, to the test, put you first, and God has always provided, I think you can do that with Sabbath, my friends. And you can put God to the test. But you can't reap the benefits and blessings of obedience without the actual obedience. I want to show you this picture. This is from Bethlehem. This is uh, Starbucks. And um, years ago when I showed up at Bethlehem to go up to the Church of the Nativity, I was excited to see Starbucks. Until I got up there and realized it wasn't Starbucks. It's Stars and Bucks. And, um, so I, I actually have a stars and bucks, a cafe mug and, uh, it's, it's good. It says Palestine on the bottom there. And uh, it's a reminder that it's a ripoff and it, it didn't taste good at all. Now, now the reason I bring this forth is that if this showed up in Hillsboro, how long would it take before corporate in Seattle would send a letter with a lawyer And the letter would be called a cease and desist letter. That's what it's called, a cease and desist. That's what they call it. You're going to knock it off. Quit using what's ours, the logo, the coffee, the colors, the name that, that belongs to us. You need to cease and desist from that. Now, my friends, every week, God sends you a cease and desist letter. He does. Now, he's not going to sue you. Thankfully, all right? He's not going to punish you, but you'll probably punish yourself over time, right? The rewards that you would have gained for taking a Sabbath, you'll lose out on. The blessings that you could have had and received, you won't receive because you didn't put God to the test. Every week, God comes to you and to me and says, why don't you cease, desist, why don't you just rest, call it holy, and find a way to put work aside and put me first. Now, last week, we closed with this set of questions. What should you stop doing on the Sabbath? What should you start doing on the Sabbath? I'm, that's not for me to dictate. That's, this is not about religion. This is about some good habits and rituals for your life. 
Hopefully you found some. If, uh, if not, you can pick up the sermon notes because on the sermon notes, even this week, we've got a reminder of all that. And in fact, we have some great discipleship questions and some application opportunities. If you need to know what it's like to actually put Sabbath into place, it's all right there for you. But I want to close with a prayer as a reminder of reliance because I think that's the hard issue for many of us is that we have been taught by our culture to rely on ourselves or to rely on other people. And although God's blessed us with that, we should ultimately be relying on our Heavenly Father for our daily bread. Would you pray with me? Father, as Jesus prayed and demonstrated on that Lord's prayer, give us today our daily bread. And when you do that, God, cause us never to think that we created the bread that we worked for the bread, that we earned the bread, that we deserved the bread. But to realize the bread is a gift. The bread is a blessing. The bread is an opportunity. It's a picture of when we rely on you, you care for us. And we're talking about more than bread. We're talking about money, dough. We're talking about, we're talking about the ability to do what we do, Father, the provision of just enough, just what we need. God, work in our heart whatever habits to stop, to start, move in us, Lord. May it not be about rules that restrict us, but about rituals that bless us and give us opportunities. You have loved us so much, Father, to you provide for us. For some of us, that's enough. We just need to know that today, that you gave us everything and say thank you for it. For others, we need to build in some rituals Teach us along the journey how to do that to bring honor to you in your name. Amen.